Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Women's Wisdom Podcast. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And today I am pleased to welcome um, to our podcast stage, Dr. Fraso Adamakos. She is the Vice Chair of Education and Faculty Development, as well as the Medical Education Fellowship Director at Metropolitan Harlem Program. She is all things meded nerdy, and so therefore the spirit animal of my heart. Thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, it, the pleasure is all ours because I basically get to pick your brain about where I want my career to be in the next five to 10 years um, over the course of the next few minutes. Uh, so you have been duly warned that this is purely personal and selfish of me by having you um, come on our podcast. And that's the best thing about these things and meeting people and learning from others. That's actually how you carve out your own career. So I'm happy to be part of this journey. And before we get started into too much of the deep stuff, um, just to break the ice a little bit, one of my favorite questions to ask everybody, this goes way back to the very beginnings of this podcast. So when you are not in the emergency room being, you know, the superhero that we all are, what do you like to do with your free time? It's fun that you like to start with that. I enjoy that question. What do I like to do with my free time? Most of my free time is now occupied with my kids. I have seven month old twins and I have a three-year-old daughter who we just successfully potty trained, which is exciting. And a husband that I actually enjoy spending time with. Yes. And a husband I actually enjoy spending time with. So it's usually mostly family stuff. I try to sneak in some workouts here and there. And I'm really not that interesting anymore, but it's amazing. I have a wonderful family. Um, when the twins aren't screaming, they are phenomenal little babies. So we, we have fun at home. And isn't that just so us too, right? Like, oh yeah, no big deal. I just successfully potty trained a three-year-old at the exact same time that I have seven-month-old twins and NBD, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you kind of have no choice, but yes, it's definitely in true ER doctor fashion, you know, trying to hold both of them, one screaming, my daughter's like, I gotta poop, I gotta poop, like right now, come on. But, uh, you know, we just kind of manage what comes at us. So that's where my life is at. In addition to being absolutely incredible, clearly in your family life, you have this amazing story about how you have ended up in your leadership positions. And so I wanted to start with an open-ended question as we teach all of our trainees to do and tell us, hey, how, uh, share with us, how did you get from point A to point B? So I'm happy to share this. It's something that I've wanted to share and talk to other people about because I think I've had great mentors along the way who've helped me make the decision I've made and helped me get to where I am today. So as you stated, I'm the vice chair of education, which honestly, before I got this title, I didn't really know much about. In New York, there, there's a lot of people who are vice chairs of education and program directors. So it's kind of a dual role and you, you, know, you can't really do both very well, right? So you end up taking on one more than the other. So I never really understood it. And I just really never understood it. I, so I'll tell you, let's back up and I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I was born in New York and I moved to Canada when I was 10. So I'm dual American Canadian citizen free education, free healthcare. My family was originally from there. So yes, smart choices. And then I got into medical school, uh, went to medical school and my clinicals and then residency and thus far has been back in New York. 
So I did my residency at Maimonides Medical Center, which is a super busy, crazy place to train. It was phenomenal. I love that place. And after that, I worked at Staten Island University Hospital for a few years, another super awesome place for residents to train at. Really love the experience. And then, and I always knew I wanted to go into academics from a young age. You know, I liked teaching. I did coaching when I was younger. I became chief resident. So it was kind of natural that I was going to end up in academics. And I knew pretty quickly my five-year goal, I told myself, was to be an APD, assistant associate program director, whatever, right? And I saw on the cord listserv an email going out uh, my current institution was looking for an APD and they were willing to take on more junior faculty. So I thought, perfect, I applied. We hit it off, Roger, the program director and I um, at the interview, he offered me the job and I had been doing a ton of work by then um, at Central University Hospital and as a resident, I, I was getting heavily involved. I knew what I had to do to get an APD job without having a fellowship. And he took me on and we've been doing wonderful, phenomenal, great things. Our program now, we've merged with Harlem Hospital. I'm a fellowship director also. We have a med ed fellowship. We have an admin fellowship, simulation fellowship. I mean, it's just, we're doing a bunch of fun, crazy stuff. And I've been now at Metropolitan Hospital for about five years. I'm about six years out of residency. So as being the only APD at Metropolitan Hospital, it gave me the opportunity to do everything that an APD does really quickly kind of just got thrown in and not really taught much. I just figured it out as I went along, like we do in emergency medicine, right? See one, do one, teach one. And um, over time, I started realizing there were things about the job that I wasn't crazy about. And I told myself, look, the grass is always greener and no job is going to be perfect. And I think a lot of us in medicine have this picture of like, you know, residency was so awesome. And I just like loved residency and loved everything about it. And I think I thought my whole career was just going to be filled with this passion until I, you know, met my husband and we have kids and I'm like, you know, my priorities change. And although I love my work, I actually love other things more, which was not something I ever really expected. I expected medicine. I just always was going to be someone who lived and breathed and loved medicine every minute of it. So I was kind of going through a, what am I doing with my life? Am I really happy being APD? Yada, yada. Then there was a job opening, a lateral job opening. So another APD position at a different institution, which was much closer to home for me. So my commute is over an hour. It could be an hour and a half in really bad traffic. It's usually an hour. And this is New York City traffic, right? Painful. So this job was much closer to home. I'm going to be honest. It was $100,000 more. Whoa. Yeah. Holy cow. A lot, a lot of money more. I've, we're paid well as doctors, but in New York City, you know, uh, and you're in California, we're paid less and we're, I'm at a city hospital, so we're the lowest out of all the other people. So you can see why. And it was at a place that I thought I could see myself being, being happy at. They had a higher acuity patients, just, just very different. Interviewed and I was torn because I love my job. I'm here still, right? But there were other things that were pulling me and I, I really had to consider them, right? That, that's a lot of money. And that would be me being around more for my kids. I was really unsure what to do, talking to my husband about it. And then I reached out to a mentor. So something that was taught to me a lot, and I know I'm sure you tell all your mentees is you need to reach out 
just find mentors, just talk to people. Can I ask you, can I, I need to talk to someone. No one ever says no in academic medicine. And so I reached out to my mentor who was a vice chair of education. And I was explaining how I'm torn, but you know, it is a lateral move, but I guess, you know, you never know what can happen. And I, I'm kind of a little unhappy with the APD role. Uh, there's stuff that I'm just not liking about it. I feel like I've kind of done everything. And him and I both kind of ended up with this, well, what about vice chair of education? My job really loves me. I mean, I've done a lot of great things with the program. It's mutually beneficial. And it, it kind of just him and I came up with, why don't I ask for this raise? Why don't I help create at this institution, which the more vice chairs of education there are at academic institutions, like it's beneficial for everyone, right? Um, it's beneficial for the department because you're able to do a lot more when you have someone who has protected time to take care of the education of attendings, of residents, of PAs, of medical students. We've been able to do so much more in the short time that I've been in this role, not because of just me, just because of the role and what it allows. And so I thought, you know what? I would, I would, I would lose uh, and a little pay raise. So I'll be honest. I came up with a number, or they asked me for a number forty thousand dollars. I would say for forty thousand dollars more. And I think money is important to talk about in these things because I think it helps us all figure out how we make decisions and what's important. So I said, you know what? Let's go for somewhat of a pay raise and this promotion. I think I will. I would definitely keep my commute. I love my job. I just you know, kind of can't pass up this really other great opportunity. And so in the interim or in the process of interviewing, not sure what I'm doing, you know, they gave me time. Uh, I told my boss because I don't like to hide if I interviewed another place. And I've entertained other job hours before. And I always told my jobs because I actually think it's kind of good networking and you never know. Um, and I never was really interested. It just never worked out in the other jobs. But this one was something I was really considering. And I had to talk to my boss about it. And I was very nervous, and very nervous, and he could tell. And I said, Roger, you know, I love this place. And he said, you have to consider this. He's like, I, I understand it's your family. I said, however, I figured out something that would allow me to pass up this job opportunity. I don't know if it's possible. And I said, vice chair of education, which comes with more protected time. So I only work 16 hours clinical a week and pay rates. And he said, I'm going to work on it. And him. And my chair, Dr. Gregory Almond, went to the, the medical school, went to the hospital, went to, were employed by PAGNI, which is just a group that employs physicians in New York. It's still nonprofit. And they got it approved. And then that's how I became vice chair of education. And it's something that now I don't think the department, you know, if I were to let's say leave, which I'm not leaving, I love my job. I really do. I think they would keep this position and hire someone else. And it's something that I love talking about because, you know, other people in other academic positions don't really know much about this being a job, this being something that you could do is taking an opportunity that's presented to you and negotiating a better role, I, especially I think if you've done a lot of work to prove yourself. So I'm so happy I had the mentorship. I had my mentor who kind of helped me figure this out together. And I'm happy that I had the courage to go up to my boss. It was very hard to do because, again, I love my job. I was really, really torn. And it's not all about money, but money and a short commute, you know? There's, there's so many parts of your story that I just love. I, I love the fact that 
you were able to identify the things that were important in your life at that phase of your life. I think that that's oftentimes part of the messaging that gets lost to um, particularly new grads from residency um, in that first five to 10 years of your career is that your life is going to go through a lot of changes. Um, and what worked for you your first year out from residency is not going to necessarily work for you at year five or year seven or year 10. And you were able to identify working with the people who know you and love you. Hey, what are my priorities right now? You sought out mentorship. I don't think I've ever done a single one of these um, interviews before somebody has not mentioned mentorship. <laughs> and then you were able to advocate for yourself to finagle a situation that you were happy with. I, and, and oftentimes I think that we feel like advo advocating for ourselves is this very uh, aggressive, tumultuous, you know, I got to go to battle for myself mm -hmm. kind of a thing when in reality, the way that you tell the story, it was simply just asking a question. Well, and so I've learned a couple of things along the way. I've, I've always been fairly outspoken. I think as a resident, actually, I don't know if anyone would think I was timid, but there was a period where I felt timid and I'm, just, I'm an assertive person. I'm a New Yorker. I'm Greek. It's in my blood. I, I haven't ever had tons of issues advocating for myself, but you know, I definitely know the statistics, how women don't have as many academic positions as men. Women don't advocate for themselves. Women don't ask for raises. And so I'm sure a mentor told me this. I didn't come up with this on my own. I asked myself, and my husband's a white man, but what would a white man do, right? What would a tall white man do in certain positions where I might find myself uncomfortable? And over time, it has actually allowed me to not usually feel uncomfortable in situations anymore. I think I've worked out a lot and I still have imposter syndrome. Don't get me wrong. Getting this job was a definite imposter syndrome moment where I was like, am I really qualified to be doing this? You know, I'm five years out of residency. I'm not an associate professor. I'm still an assistant professor. I haven't done enough research. That's my weakness. And it's something that I have uh, big goals to work on over the next few years. But, you know, I, I had many things that was telling me, wait, how, what, why are people going to think like, who is this chick doing this? Right. But I, you know, I look at myself, I look at my CV and I tell myself oftentimes, well, what a tall white man do. And it's just funny. And again, my husband's a white man. It's fine. White man's <laughs> not the devil, but it just reminds me that certain people have been raised to feel more comfortable doing things and certain people haven't. And, you know, I'll tell this to my I don't know, young black male colleagues or residents, the same thing, right? Because sometimes the color of your skin, your cultural background or your gender can hinder you from making some of these decisions. And so for me, that little mantra has been helpful. And I think, like you said, kind of identifying what's gonna make you happy. And the biggest thing for me is what I've learned is that you have to have a path, right? Like I always knew academics, residency sort of leadership, but I've been surprised so many times over and over and over again in my life that I've kind of just come to realize, like, you never know what's going to happen in life. Like, really never know what's going to happen. I went to a Caribbean medical school, didn't think that was going to happen. I got married at 23, divorced at 25, you know, remarried at 34. I have twins. Um, I mean, the list can go on of all these. I'm a vice chair of education. Didn't know that was a thing, right? So I've learned to just keep an open mind while having goals. And I think also another thing that I've learned again is that whole, and I love my job right now. I think I honestly have the best job in the world. I mean, I really, 
have absolute control and freedom of what I do. I get to do all the fun stuff. I don't have to discipline anymore, which I'm not terribly, not that anyone is, but I don't think that was my forte. I could do it, but I don't think that was my forte. So it's the best job, but I still love being home more. And I never really thought I'd say that. Even after I had my daughter, um, I was still in that career building phase. And it was really only after the twins, I had a complicated pregnancy. I worked from home most of my pregnancy, wonderful bosses, right? And that's something that I knew about my job. Um, And they, for whatever reason, these twins just changed my outlook, COVID, you know, all these things that's happened over the last few years has really made me, I love my job, but I love being home more. And you know what? That's okay. And it's not something I ever expected. Absolutely. I, I, and that is okay. And I think with our last couple of minutes that we have left here, um, let me throw this, you know, super easy to answer question at you, but how do you personally, because I think that this is a very personal question, but how do you maintain a semblance of balance in your life? Um, how, what brings you back to your center? Because, I, I firmly believe that balance is not a destination. It is a continuously changing pendulum swing from one side to the other, but all of us have those things in our life that centers us. So how do you come back to your center? So I think being kind to myself is something that doesn't come naturally, something I've learned to do. And I think that's very helpful because I'm over, I feel overwhelmed very often, right? Like we said, balancing kids, have taking care of myself, having a relationship with my husband, you know, my job. So just giving myself grace and saying it's okay. You know, I've learned to tell people I will get to that, but it's not going to be this week. It's probably going to take me a couple weeks, right? Um, so I've definitely over the years learned the art of saying no or of prioritizing, whatever that may be. And like you said, I honestly don't think there's one trick. I think it just, you try your best, um, you make priorities. I have, I have like a million reminders on my phone. I, I remind myself of everything. When my car has, the registration has to be renewed, when my license has to be renewed, um, my to-do list is all on my phone and I get reminders. So I've gone into a good habit of using, I even have reminders to remind me every few days, like personal things in terms of taking care of myself. So that's been helpful. I live off of Google Drive. Um, I have a list every week. I update. And I don't actually update my TV every week. I just write down things that I do every week so that when I go to update my TV, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I think I've learned like a bunch of little tricks along the way. So if you're someone who's kind of wondering, how can I do better? I think just watching people around you who you think are successful and asking them questions like, oh, that's cool. I know to do that how do you do that? I think just like learning tips and tricks along the way. But I mean, yeah, I don't know how much I have balance and center. I think I just do it. And I think I, you know, COVID has just really made me appreciate life and what I have. And I'm just very grateful every day. I mean, look, we make a lot of money. I got a wonderful job. I have a wonderful family. Like I really don't have anything to complain about. I love that having grace with yourself and then having gratitude for where you are in life. And I think that we couldn't possibly end on any kind of a better note. Um, So thank you again so much um, for sharing your journey with us. I took copious notes along the way. Mm -hmm. um, And honestly, we just, uh, from everybody here at our Women's Wisdom Podcast, we wish you the absolute best in absolutely everything that you are doing. When you have uh, single-handedly conquered the academic world, remember us little people, okay? 
Well, thank you so much, Noah. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. And to all of our listeners out there, we will see you on the next episode. Take care, everyone. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.